right, well, very good. We're happy to be here. We appreciate everybody and appreciate the opportunity to be here. And if we have any visitors, we're most delighted for your presence here uh, this evening. We begin our study uh, here tonight with an illustration. And the illustration is uh, uh, identifying counterfeit money. And the way you identify counterfeit money is to understand all the marks of real money. You have a $100 bill. I, have one in my pocket also, and it's really quite interesting, all the various marks and uh, things of anti-counterfeiting, because there are a lot of people that, it's actually the most common bill that is counterfeited, is the $100 bill, but there's all kinds of marks, and on the $100 bill, you've got that blue new stripe that goes through there, you got the watermark, when you hold it up to the light, you see Ben Franklin in there. Uh, you have this uh, ink of the 100, it changes color as you uh, hold it around, and that blue stripe, it shows sometimes 100, sometimes it shows little bells. There's a thing called microprinting, and I've got a little magnifying my, uh, glass in my pocket, and if any of the kids want to see this, that's really, really cool. Because a copy machine cannot print the fine microprint, and that uh, uh, kind of uh, puts copy machines out of business on that part, and that, that's a real cool feature. And there's other things, but if you're going to study about counterfeit money, you begin by studying the, the marks of real money. And when you understand them, then when you look at bills, well, it don't have this, and don't have this, and here's a problem, here's a problem, here's a problem when you understand the real thing. Well, so it is, as you talk about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to talk about the church that Jesus built. And in Matthew chapter 16, we'll begin our lesson there by just reading that text as it'll introduce our study about the, chief, uh, about the church that Jesus built. When Jesus came into the regions of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say I, the Son of Man, am? And they said unto him, Some say, You are John the Baptist, some Elijah, other Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said, But whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say also unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. All right, so as we think about the church that Jesus built, what we're going to do is just sort of look at some identifying marks that are found in the Bible that makes the Lord's church very unique, different from, of course, the churches of men. We've got plenty of churches of men throughout the world. And what we want to do is to see the church that Jesus built and some identifying marks, just like U.S. dollars has identifying marks of real money as opposed to counterfeit bills, you'll see the contrast when you understand the marks of the church that Jesus built. All right, first off, when we talk about the church that Jesus built, this promise that he made. There in verse 18, when he's talking to Peter, he says, Also unto you, uh, I say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build. Now, therefore, that's future tense, I will build. So from the point of Mark chapter 16, it's sometime after Mark chapter 16, or Matthew chapter 16, that the, the church of the Lord was built. And when you sort of look at various texts, like Mark chapter 9, verse 1, and you come into Acts chapter 2, 
Beginning in Acts chapter 2, the church will then be talked, uh, talked about in the present tense. For instance, Acts 2 verse 47. And the Lord adds to the church daily such as to be saved. You look at the passages before Acts chapter 2 about the kingdom or about the church. I will build my church, pointing to the future. And, uh, you know, the kingdom will come with power and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And all that took place, of course, in Acts chapter 2. And so you see the beginning of the church that Jesus built began in Acts chapter 2. So if you look at a church of men one of the churches of men, and they try to get it back in the days of John the Baptist, well, that wouldn't be a correct date. Or if a church was built after Acts chapter 2, well, then it would be too late. But the church that Jesus built began in Acts chapter 2, as you see, and put these passages together. Something else about the church of the Lord, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that is it has a distinct pattern. That's very important, very distinct pattern. In the book of Hebrews chapter 8, notice there in the first five verses, now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. This is the chief point. This is the, this is the big point the writer was trying to get across. We have such a high priest who sat down on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched in not man. Now, when it uses the phrase the true tabernacle, it's not saying that the first tabernacle was false. It's not true and false. But the ideal of the true, that is the body, the substance, and the first tabernacle was a shadow. And that's the contrast, not true and false, but uh, substance, the true tabernacle as opposed to the shadow. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, therefore it is of necessity that this man has something also to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. Now the heavenly things, the true tabernacle, that is which corresponds to the New Testament church, he says that the Old Testament was a shadow. Just like if you're out on a sunny day and you hold your hand out and you can see your shadow. Or if you see a shadow kind of coming around the building, you say, oh, well, there's a person or there's a dog coming around. Even though you don't see the dog, you don't see the person, but you see the shadow, you know there's a body that's casting that shadow. Well, the tabernacle, of course, the temple of the Old Testament, was a shadow of the heavenly things. And as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that you make all things according to the pattern which was showed to you in the mount. Now the shadow had a pattern. And what was Moses exhorted to do? Make all things according to the pattern. Or if you please, the blueprint. Make it according to the blueprint, the pattern. If you were making a dress, you're making a suit. You have a pattern. Well, you follow the pattern in order to make the suit, to make the dress, whatever clothing you make, you go according to the pattern. If you're building a house and you pick out your house plans and you get the, you know, the blueprints and you get a builder to build that, you expect the builder to build according to the blueprints, not to arbitrarily change things and etc. No, you've already picked out the house and you want to go according to the plans. Well, the point is, just as the shadow had a pattern, 
Well, the substance, the true tabernacle has a pattern. And it's right here in the Word of God. We have the biblical pattern. Just as the Old Testament tabernacle had a pattern, the New Testament, the true tabernacle has a pattern. It's revealed in the Word of God. And as Moses is exhorted, make all things according to the pattern, well, so for us, in the heavenly things, we are to follow the pattern. And that's an identifying concept of the church that Jesus built. And then, the church that Jesus built, the order is that we are to respect the head and the headship of this church, this body. Notice that in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and then we'll look at Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 1, which he, pro, which he performed in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, so if you're talking about the church, you're talking about the body. And when you use the image of the body, you have a head. I mean, we all got bodies, and we all got a head. I don't see any bodies sitting around in the pews headless. Everybody that's filling the pew, that is yourself, you got a head. And the head gives direction to the body. Then notice there in the book of Colossians chapter 1, and he is the head of the body. And what's the body? Well, again, we're not left to doubt and scratch your heads about that. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. So an identifying mark of the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is that we respect the head. The head gives direction. The head gives us all the information. It's an absolute sovereignty. We don't have like a democracy and we just vote things up and down and we just kind of go whatever the majority likes and that's the way we go. That's what you see in denominations of men. If the public sways a certain way, well, then they sort of follow, sort of like our elected leaders. If the public kind of goes one way, next thing you know, the politicians are going that way. And you look at some of the politicians a few years ago, oh, no, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't go along with homosexuality and all that stuff. Well, no, we believe traditional marriage. But then public opinion changes, and, well, they change with public opinion. Well, that's not the way things work when you talk about the church of our Lord, is that it doesn't make any difference what the body, what individual people think or want to do. It's always what the head, the absolute king and sovereign Jesus Christ says. He has headship, and he's the one that always gives direction. And that's not an identifying mark. Because in the church of the Lord, what are we always appealing to? Well, we want to see, well, what does the head say? Well, what does the, uh, the king in the kingdom, what, what, what direction, what edicts, what, what commandments, what, what has he bound, what has he loosed? That's why we're searching his divine word to find those directions from the head. Another mark of the church that Jesus built is the work of the church. The church just doesn't do anything that is, uh, well, we think this is a good work, and hey, we're going to do it. No. We look to the head, and the head has given the work that the church, that is the collective unit, is to be involved in, and it's threefold. First off, the church is to be involved in evangelism. 
Look there in First Peter, I mean, uh, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, uh, as he was thanking God for uh, the brethren, and he says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first end to now. Now, what does he mean by fellowship? That is, they were sharing with Paul and supporting Paul in the work of the gospel. And we read about that when you flip over to the fourth chapter, beginning there in verse 14, Paul says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you did share in my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me as concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again to my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Uh, but, I have, but I have all and abound and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, a fragrant offering of a, sweet, uh, of a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. All right, so the Philippian church, they were supporting Paul in the work of evangelism, of preaching the gospel. That was one thing that local congregations were involved in, spreading the good news. Another was edification, that is, building up, building up the body. We read about that in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, Till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to the perfect man and to the measure of the fullness of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to, to deceive. Uh, but speaking the truth in love may grow unto him in all things, even uh, all things, who is the head, even Christ, uh, from whom the whole body fitly, being fitly joined together and knit together by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. So the church that Jesus built is involved in the work of edification. That is, that we seek to build up the saints, to, to bring to maturity, to strengthen, and to uh, build up the body of Christ. That's, that's another work that the New Testament church was involved in. And then there's the third work. The New Testament church was involved in benevolence for needy saints. We read about that, for instance, in the book of Romans chapter 15. Paul says, but now go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. Well, what kind of saints are we talking about here, Paul? You're just going to go and, and just doyle out a financial help to everybody? I mean, just cross the board, just help everybody? Well, no, he identifies what he's speaking about. Look at verse 26. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are Jerusalem. You see, it's, it's poor saints. Benevolence is for poor saints. People that don't have the means to meet necessities. Not once. It's like I could say, well, you know, I don't have a Lamborghini. I'm really down. I really like them Lamborghinis. I mean, they are spiffy cars and they are so fast. Man, I mean, could people like send me some money so I could get me a Lamborghini? Maybe Rody, he, he smiled. I think he wants one too. Can, can you help both of us? We, we don't have a Lamborghini, but we, we really want one. And so we'll just beg around for churches and brethren to give us some money so we can buy us a Lamborghini. Well, no, that's not what Paul's talking about. We don't need a Lamborghini. You don't have to have a Lamborghini. Now, if we're lacking money to buy food, okay, sure. Brethren are ready and the church can be ready to offer assistance and that's what Paul was talking about there to help the poor saints here at Jerusalem 
It pleased them greatly, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in the material things. And Paul goes on there, uh, and, he, and he says, uh, pray for us. He says, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, that, uh, that by my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints. So Paul said, pray that, that when we take this money from the Gentile churches to these poor saints in Jerusalem, that it will be accepted of the saints. And so that's what you read. The New Testament church was involved in benevolence toward the poor saints, the needy saints. And that's what we read about the work that church was involved in. You, know, you, don't, you don't find New Testament churches, you know, having ball teams and building gymnasiums and, you know, and, and to the uh, social mania activities that we see in, in the churches of men, building gymnasiums and all this kind of stuff. It's absent. It, it's not found anywhere in the New Testament. There, there's no Bible authority for that. You see, when we respect the headship of Jesus, we're looking for a direction from the head. And the direction from the head for the local church is to be involved in these three works. That is, the work of evangelism, edification, and benevolence toward the needy saints. And that's it. You don't find the New Testament churches involved in other secular activities, building businesses or building social uh, recreation halls. It's just absent. Were there athletics in the first century? Of course. You, you, see, you see Paul even using the, the imagery of athletics. Uh, the Olympics, it goes back into, into the New Testament days and even before the time. Uh, Olympics, Olympic competition, that, that was certainly uh, uh, well known and well understood. But you do not read anywhere where the Jerusalem line got together to compete against the Antioch line in a game of basketball or softball or whatever it might be. It's not there. Can Christians get together and play ball? Sure. But that's the function of the home. That's the business of the home. Individuals take care of that. Families take care and provide those things. Not the business and the function of the New Testament church. The church that Jesus built. Talk about another identifying mark of the church that Jesus built. The worship. What are we doing worship? Again, it's not open for... Well, it seems to me, or this is what I like, or this is what I prefer, or this is what you know, I think would be really good. No, we're given the information of what's to be involved in the worship of, uh, of the church and uh, the worship of the Creator. 1 Corinthians lists all five items in verse 23 of chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks and broke it, it said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. Uh, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he took the cup. Uh, after that, he had eaten, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you, as often as you in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So we have the Lord's Supper. And we look at Acts 20, and we get the identifying date of the Lord's Supper. And that's uh, the first day of the week. All right, so there's one act of worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, notice there in verse 15. Paul says, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit. There's an item of worship, an act of worship. Sometimes people say, well, where do you get this? the five acts of worship. Well, what's an act? An act is something you do. So where do you get these five somethings that you do? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Lord's Supper. 
1 Corinthians 14, I will pray with the Spirit. There's something you do. You pray. I will pray with understanding understand also. I will sing with the Spirit. There's another act. That's a something you do. That's the idea of an act. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Drop down in verse 19. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So there you have teaching. There's another act, something you do, the teaching of the gospel, the preaching of the word. And then in chapter 16 of the book of 1 Corinthians, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him stores that God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when it comes. Oh, there's another act of worship. That is something we do. That is, we're to give. So there you have the five acts. Two of them are identified to be done only on the first day of the week. That is, the giving and the Lord's Supper. So that's another identifying mark of the church that Jesus built. Now, you look in human denomination, you see, you know, lighting of candles, the burning of incense, and, and offering instrumental music and the praise of, of God, etc. But it's just absent from the directions of the head. Because if we're going to go by the directions of the head, that's what the head reveals to us. It's an identifying mark of the church that Jesus built. The worship that we're to be involved in. Let's notice something else. The organization of the local church of what God has ordained. Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 gives us a great example of that. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who had Philippi with bishops and deacons. That's a scripturally organized congregation, having bishops and deacons. Notice there in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseer. To feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Paul was talking to the elders there in Acts chapter 20. That's verse 17. And so when you look at the organization, the elders are the presbyteries. It comes from the same basic word. It means an older person. Then you look at the word to feed is sometimes translated pastor or shepherd. It comes from the same fundamental Greek word, and that refers to the same office. And then overseers is sometimes translated bishop, obiscos, uh, and that comes from the same uh, New Testament root word. And so these various terms refers to the same office, just kind of looking at different angles. It'd be like if you were talking about uh, Kenny Hamilton down here, and you say, oh, well, Kenny's a husband. Okay, he's a husband. Oh, well, he's a father. Well, okay, he's a father. Well, he's a grandfather. Well, he's a grandfather, too. Are we talking about three different fellas sitting down here? Are we talking about the same guy? We're looking at the same guy just from different perspectives. And when you talk about the, uh, the elders, you're looking at men who are older that meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. They're called pastors or shepherds because they are feeding and tending to the flock of God. And they're called bishops and overseers because they're watching out for the care uh, of the flock of God. So that's why you have those different terms used to talk about the organizational structure of the local congregation. And that's what God desires, that men would come to, uh, to, to that place where a qualified man could be appointed in those particular functions. Of course, in human denominations, the churches of men, while well, you see, you know, bishops and 
bishops are over elders and then archbishops and cardinals and then the pope and and then you have other organizations they use presidents and vice presidents and and et cetera, et cetera, and they have universal uh, sway over, over a group, and nah, that's not what you read about in the New Testament. Local congregations being overseen by, uh, by each congregation being autonomous, that is, self-governing under the rule of the headship of Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the church that Jesus built. Another identifying mark is using a scriptural name or designation there in Romans chapter 16 verse 16 greet one another with a holy kiss the churches of Christ salute you there's a scriptural name that used in the scriptures or in 1st Corinthians chapter 1 unto the church of God which is at Corinth there's another scriptural designation of the New Testament church something that honors Christ the church of God the church of Christ now if you look at denominations <laughs> They were names of men, or they, yikes. They were names of men, or they were uh, different doctrines or whatever that exalt human wisdom. No, that's the churches of men, contrast to the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of like money. Yeah, you, you can pull out that $100 bill. Well, that's real because it's got identifying marks that this is a real $100 bill. Or you can get a counterfeit. Looks similar. You know, may even say 100 may have the picture of Benjamin Franklin, but there are things that, that are not like, there are things that are just lacking on it. It's not the real deal. And that's the way it is when you talk about the church that Jesus built. We're look, we want to look at the real deal. And then let me mention also about the name individuals used to identify there in Acts chapter 11 verse 26 and when he had found him he brought him unto Antioch and it came to pass that for a whole year they sent themselves with the church and taught much people and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch you don't read of some sort of hyphenated Christian you know a Methodist Christian a Baptist Christian or Presbyterian Christian no they were simply called Christians and it is interesting that the word called, it carries the concept of a divine calling. God called them Christians. Sometimes people say, oh, well, that, that was just a slur. Uh, you know, the enemies, uh, they, they're using this slur, Christian, oh, you're Christians. No. That word called means to speak by divine oracle. It's the same word that's used there in Romans chapter 7. That if a woman has a husband, she gets rid of him and gets her another one, she shall, she shall be called an adulteress. It's not somebody just throwing off on her. That's what God says she is. It's speaking by divine oracle. And what do we see the disciples were called? Well, they were called Christians. That's the scriptural name that we use as individuals of members of the body of Christ, the church that Jesus built. We use the name Christian. And of course, it's only found three times this place, Acts chapter 26, where Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not uh, be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name or in this behalf. All right. So we're talking about the church that Jesus built. And you begin to look at these identifying marks. And you begin to see all these marks and say, whoa. 
and then you look at the churches of men, you say, boy, they sure are different. When I first started attending church, I was out of high school. I only attended church a couple of times when I was a kid. Once in sixth grade, went to the Baptist church, and then went to a Christmas play uh, in high school. Uh, and that was it until I was out of, out of high school. And I didn't really know a lot of difference, you know. Friends at high school, and one would say this, and one say that, and well, I'm this, and I'm that, and I didn't know much difference. I just figured they're about all the same, and some I kind of like better than others, I guess, because kind of the people and the mindset, the attitude that they manifest. But then when you begin to study, it's like, whoa, there, there's a big difference here. There's a sharp difference. It's kind of like looking at real money and the identifying marks of real money. And then you go look at counterfeit money. And it's like, phew, boy, you can, you can spot that. You can feel that. And there's just all kinds of things about real U.S. dollars. That this is the real deal. And then a counterfeit, it's, you, know, you can tell it's fake. And so it is. The church that Jesus built, that's the real deal. And then you look at the churches of men. You say, oh, yeah, you can see just a bunch of fakes. And then in the churches of the Lord, the church that Jesus built, we follow our complete guide. It's called the Bible. We know it's complete. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The scriptures. It's got everything we need. And then look there in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. According as his divine power has given us, uh, given unto, uh, unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that's according to life and godliness that's going to be necessary for us to get to heaven. Yep. Found right here in the Bible. The word of God. It's our complete manual. We don't need anything else. It's, it's all that we need. It's right here. It's called the Bible. It's the complete guide, the inspired Word of God. Does it have everything we might want to know? No. There's some things I'd like to know about heaven that haven't been revealed yet. But it's not essential to my salvation. It's not essential to your salvation. You don't have to know it to get to heaven. You don't have to know it to, uh, in order to enter into the pearly gates. All that we need to enter in through the pearly gates is being given here in our complete guide. And we emphasize that book, chapter, and verse. Thus saith the Lord, the scriptures say. There is a great emphasis upon that in the, in the church that Jesus built. See, the problem with human creed books, the word creed means I believe. A human creed book or a church manual is that this is this is what in denomination that we believe this and you know they'll have their manuals and their disciplines and their creed books and you know the problem with human creed books if human creed books contain less than the bible they don't contain enough and on the other hand if human creed books contain more than the bible they contain too much and if human creed books contain the same thing as the Bible, we didn't need them to begin with because we have the Bible. We don't need human creed books. Human creed books are decisive. How do you make these denominations? You can't take it by taking the, the Word of God only. You have to have the Bible plus a church manual of this denomination 
or the church discipline of this denomination or the decrees of their leader from this denomination or their so-called revelations like the Book of Mormon, etc., in order to make a Mormon. You can't take the Bible and just make a human denomination. You have to have the Bible plus the human creed books. And so there's a great emphasis that we have the complete guide. And that is, it's called the Bible. And these are all identifying marks of God's church, the church that Jesus built. And then as we extend the invitation, you know what? You look at the plan of salvation. It's also very distinct and different than what you see in the churches of men. And this church of man and that church of man that's built by human wisdom and rest upon human wisdom. And that's another identifying mark of the church that Jesus built is the plan of salvation that is sought. And you have these steps that are described in the scriptures. And we've got some verses, and we could give a bunch more verses in the distinct steps that are described in the church that Jesus built. We hear the gospel. So then faith, faith comes by hearing and hear by the word of God. We've got to hear the message from the divine book. And then we've got to believe in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Paul told the jailer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Yep, that's, we're going to have to believe. And then we're going to have to repent. I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, verse 3. Yeah, we're going to have to make a turnaround. That'll be difficult because people don't like change, but it's going to be essential. And we're to confess our faith before men. Matthew 10, verse 32. Who serves or confess me before men? Him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. And then we're to be baptized for the remission of sins. Acts 2 and verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, that's the problem. Well, denominations, they don't exactly teach that. They teach just accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Pray the sinner's prayer. I mean, that's what I did when I first started kind of looking in the Bible. I watch Billy Graham some because my mom watched it as a kid and how many times did I watch him at the conclusion of his preaching and, and call for people in the stadiums to come down and, and we'll have a prayer and pray the sinner's prayer and I thought well that's kind of the way it, it, you got to do it and that's what I did but then as I got started I was like well wait a minute there's some things left out in the Billy Graham method and what I did was, you know, that's kind of different than what I read in the Bible. And so I had to make up my mind. Well, am I going to follow the head or am I going to follow what I learned under Billy Graham? And I said, well, McKibben, you, you're wrong on that. And get it right by doing what God said. And so I just did what God said. And I have full confidence. Why? Because I can put my finger on the passage. I can open my Bible and I can say, this is what I did, and I can give the reasons, and I can give the book, chapter, and verse, and this, the, way, the way the eunuch was saved, and, and the way they were saved on the day of Pentecost. I can read it and say, yeah, that's, that's, I did it like they did in the first century of the church that Jesus built. You see, there's a sharp contrast of the church that Jesus built, also in the plan of salvation, as opposed to the churches of men. And then we're exhorted to be faithful unto death, Revelation 2 and verse 10. And if we do err, we've got that passage in Acts 19 and verse 18, where it says, And many that believe came and confessed and showed their deeds. That is when Christians err. That's how we get things right. We turn and we acknowledge it and make things right. And that's what they did there in Acts chapter 19. Well, a sharp contrast. 
We hope that you'd want to be a part of the church that Jesus built. And you can. You just say, hey, that's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of the church that you read about in the Bible, that's following the Bible, that's, that's seeking to do what God says, exactly what God says, not something like it. Just like if somebody's going to pay you money, it's like you want, you want a real $100 bill. You want real money. You don't want counterfeit money. Counterfeit money is worthless. And it'll just be confiscated. And you might even get in trouble carrying it around and passing it around. So you want the real deal. Well, that's what you want in religion. You want the church that Jesus built and the divine truth that is revealed in the scriptures. And if you're subject to the invitation, Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And if you need to come to Jesus and find salvation, you can. And if we can help you that end, you come and let us know while together as we stand and as we sing.